0: Boy, that, that hits home for me, you know, because I was the biggest skeptic. I had no idea that anyone recovered from ME-CFS fibromyalgia for all those years. I had never heard of it. In fact, in the advocacy work that I did, it was not a topic we discussed.
1: Incredible sense of hope, that hope and realization that, you know what, this is really working. To have that goal that you realize full recovery possible. And so I said, okay, how do you cure it? And she said, "Uh, it's incurable. She says, I can give you antidepressants. I can give you muscle relaxers. I can give you this. And I said, no, no, no. I want a cure. And it's it's incurable. And I said, that's what you think. I said, I am not going to live my life like this. It's not possible. You can't, you don't have a cure, but I will. I didn't climb Mount Everest, but every day I wake up, I feel vital. And that is... That's way more fun. I mean, it's just so much fun to to be alive and not be suffering. Welcome to Wisdom from the Other Side, a podcast about recovery from fibromyalgia, ME, CFS, POTS, multiple chemical sensitivities and related syndromes. I am Dan Neufer, author of CFS Unraveled and the creator of the ANS Rewire Recovery Programme. I've spoken with hundreds of people that have recovered from these illnesses as well as doctors, researchers and many other healthcare specialists and this podcast is here to share that knowledge, to inspire and support you, to empower you on your personal journey of recovery and to help you thrive. This is episode one, introducing wisdom from the other side and dealing with the injustice of invisible illness. So, why am I starting this podcast now? What are some of the worst injustices we experience with invisible illness, and what can you do about it? That's just some of what we cover in the first Wisdom from the Other Side podcast. You can visit cfsunravel.com forward slash podcast for show notes as well as other resources like the free ebook Discover Hope. So check that out after the podcast. Just a short but important message regarding the content of this podcast. The ideas, concepts, and opinions expressed in this recording, website, and associated media and products. Are intended to be used for educational and information purposes only. Nothing presented is intended to replace your physician, nor are they a substitute for medical diagnosis, advice, or treatment. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the authors, guests, speakers, and publishers are not rendering medical advice of any kind. I'm excited to be sharing our first podcast with you, and I would like to introduce you to Claudia, who is joining me on today's episode. Hi, Claudia.
0: Hi, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having Good. me.
1: Yeah, it's great to uh, great to uh, have you join us on the podcast. Um, well, some people uh, who are in the program might uh, remember you. Um, but for others, uh, it's probably worthwhile introducing you and, uh, and telling, uh, a little bit about yourself. Um, you, um, uh, you, you actually were in the ANSVY program and you recovered with the program. But, uh, before that, you were actually involved, uh, a long time in, in advocacy. Is that right?
0: That's correct. Yes. Almost a yeah, decade. yeah.
1: A decade. Wow. Um, yeah, nearly. Yeah. And, and, how long ago did you first get ill with uh, CFS fibromyalgia?
0: Well, I had a very slow onset beginning in uh, 1985, mm. uh, and it just progressed over many, many years uh, until rapidly declined uh, in about 2005.
1: Okay. And then you started a, uh, a, a very famous Facebook group, um, and uh, that got quite large, and… Um, and when did you do that?
0: That was in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The Facebook group stemmed from a mountain bike race uh, fundraising event that I began for uh, one of the CFIDS Association, actually.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and and, and uh, go ahead.
0: Uh, and then I just maintained the group aside from the race yeah. as an advocacy site.
1: Yeah and you used to um you used to do um used to go to research uh like like uh, conferences and things like that is that right
0: i did i was part of a couple of working groups um to the c d c and attended an NIH meeting in maryland uh and was also part of an f d a group
1: right right and then uh you actually had been ill for how long when you enrolled in the ANSBY program? It was over 30 years, wasn't
0: it? Just over 30 years, yes.
1: Yeah. And um, the rest is history, right?
0: <laughs> As they say, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, for those who haven't seen your uh, interview, you you did the ANS Rewire program and uh, you recovered. Now, how long have you been recovered now?
0: I have been recovered uh, over two years, about almost two and a half years now.
1: Two and a half years. Mm-hmm. How, has it changed hmm. since you first recovered? I mean, how does it feel there compared to when you first recovered?
0: You know, I feel as though the recovery continued with momentum for at least the first two years. Right. And right. right now it's hard to judge whether that's continuing or not because the pandemic has slightly changed my lifestyle. So um, yes. it's it's a little bit different now, but um, I feel like it's continued to progress.
1: There's a difference, isn't there, between being symptom-free and no longer ill mm-hmm. and having even more vitality. Yeah. And I think many people who recover... That's why they tell me they end up being like 150% recovered. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I feel you like know. that.
1: So, uh, Claudia, I mean, that's your background uh, with CFS and fibromyalgia. Um, what's, your, what's your professional background?
0: Mm. So, my educational background is that I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in communication disorders specializing in audiology. I practiced as an audiologist for about a decade, uh, and then I shifted over to working as a cardiovascular gastrointestinal specialist for a large pharmaceutical company for a while, Um, and that's when I got too sick to work. Um, Right. But uh, during my illness and, um, and after my illness, I also continued my own education in areas of Uh, spiritual practices like yoga and meditation. And Mm -hmm. then during the pandemic, I continued my education by going back to school and becoming a certified hypnotherapist and um, have been also continuing education in areas of embodiment practices and trauma healing.
1: Mm. Interesting, interesting. You know, it's uh, it's very common actually that I find when people recover that they go into something around healing and, and healing practices. And I always make the joke to people who are saying that if you can't find somebody who's recovered from CFS or fiber, go check out your local therapist, yoga instructor, or Pilates <laughs> instructor, perhaps a naturopath, right? <laughs> and you'll bump into one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. There's this great desire that surfaces to help others, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, look, I'm looking forward to starting the podcast uh, today and and sharing some ways our listeners uh, can help themselves and uh, and can move forward.
0: I'm excited to start this today as well. And um, can you tell me a little bit about what led you to starting this podcast?
1: Yeah, look, uh, one of the biggest issues for uh, so many of us with uh, ME-CFS, Fibro, POTS, uh, and, and sensitivities is this whole use of computers, for one. And uh, a lot of my content has really been on YouTube since day one, and obviously the com website. But not everyone likes to read, not everyone likes to look at screens. And I felt that a podcast uh, is just going to be easier for people to, uh, to access. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another thing is, I felt it, it was a good forum for us f- to deal with some of the topics in a more, f- less formal way, I would say. Uh, and, and really have a conversation about some of the issues like, like we will today, um, where we can share our experiences and, and we can also, um, really sort of explore things, uh, with more than just one person talking.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm truly excited about this, um, because I think it offers an expansion of availability to you, and to patients who've recovered like myself, and possibly to experts, um, to the patient population. I I think this is excellent. I'm I'm super excited.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 feeling very excited about it too. And uh, you know, it's kind of been the result of people asking me for it. To be honest, good. Right. So I've been uh, you know for a couple of years, people kept saying, "Are you going to do a podcast? You should do a podcast." And I'm like, you know. Uh, I've got so many recovery interviews I haven't published, <laughs> but uh, but I figure we're going to try and keep it short and and succinct.
0: I think that's important, for the, especially for this population, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so tell me, um, what types of topics are you going to cover in this podcast? What does the future look like for it?
1: Well, you know, to some extent, uh, I'm hoping to get some uh, questions and feedback, so people are welcome to... Uh, contact me via the CFS Unraveled Unraveled, uh, website. And uh, if there's a a specific topic they'd like covered, um, I will add that to the list and and we'll try and check off as many as we can. Um, It's going to be focused around helping people cope with the illness. And ultimately, it's also going to be focused on helping people recover. Uh, That's really been the the main thrust of CFS Unraveled from, from day one. Um, as you know, I did, I think it was four or five years of advocacy work with CFS Unraveled in the YouTube channel before uh, I uh, started the ANS wire program. And, um, and so it, it's ultimately always going to be about helping people actually move forward with their recovery. That means that we'll also be sharing recovery interviews So, these are the ones we see on YouTube. Uh, You might even catch some here before they come on YouTube, Ah. so we might release some early ones here. So, for those people on the podcast, they will uh, enjoy those. And we'll probably also have some interviews with some other experts from around the world.
0: Excellent. I think this is very exciting to me especially because I do receive a lot of questions from the patient community because I've recovered. Um, questions about how to cope with symptoms and just daily stresses uh, with the illness and um, you know I I think having one center place for patients to go to turn to for these answers is is a smart way to go
1: yeah look um, and you know the challenging thing is that it's such a difficult illness to live with right? Yeah. but a lot of the, the groups that we have, they're not always positive places. So ultimately, we will always talk about moving you forward, we will always talk about recovery and we will always focus on busting that myth that recovery isn't possible.
0: Boy, that, that hits home for me, you know, because I was the biggest skeptic. Go, yes. I had no idea that anyone recovered from MECFS fibromyalgia. For all those years, I had never heard of it. Uh, In fact, in the advocacy work that I did, it was not a topic we discussed, right? Um, It was always about striving for a medical cure. That was my focus. And so when your book crossed my desk, I thought I was extremely skeptical. I, you know, didn't, it, it was the first time I'd ever heard the words together. So, um, I think it's important for, for people to hear this as early as possible.
1: Mm. Well, we will probably do a, uh, a podcast specifically around that topic because, yeah, I mean, the whole the whole thing, we, we, it's, we think it's going to be a, a cure, this is going to fix us, and uh, the illness is more complicated. Once we understand the, the pathophysiology of how this works… We recognize that it's not going to be about some single magic bullet. And, and this myth that people don't recover, I mean, um, yeah, we've got, we've got to bust it open. Um, uh, you know, for me, it was easier to believe that myth because I didn't even know anyone with the illness. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I was in a bubble on <laughs> all my years of illness, right? I, I yeah. never met anyone. Wow. Um, but then when people, one of the strange phenomena I've always found is people, uh, who, who have the illness, they often know lots of people who are ill, but they don't often know any people who have recovered. And mm-hmm. and often what I hear people is that once they recover, they start to meet other people who have recovered. Mm-hmm. And I always go, I, I can't quite get my head around how that's yeah. supposed to work. <laughs> you know,
0: and I said I didn't know of anyone who would recovered, but I did know of a couple of people who spontaneously recovered without any knowledge as to why. Um, but in that, time of my illness it was thought that perhaps they didn't have MECFS fibromyalgia or you know it's a, a cycle that people can go through with the illness um naturally. So those were the thoughts I had. I I, I didn't understand what I know now.
1: Mm. And and this is one of the reasons why I've enjoyed showing the recovery interviews because when we actually look at the details of these spontaneous recovery you actually find that there's nothing spontaneous about it. And I have these conversations um every week where somebody tells me how they had spontaneously recovered too. Often there's not 100% so often. Often right. they'll say, oh, I recovered. I don't really know why. I did some things and I got to like 80 or 90% and right. then I got ill again. But once they did the program, they suddenly go, well... <clears throat> It wasn't actually spontaneous after all. Exactly. <laughs> and they understand the mechanisms that they employed, which they didn't realize at the time. Yeah. But look, let's uh, get into today's uh, topic. And um, today's topic is talking about the injustices that we experience with this illness. Um, you know, my, my website and, and social media, we touch on this sometimes. It's never been the main thrust. Because I think we can get stuck in this world. This world where we're just trying to get some justice. We're trying to be understood. We're trying to be validated. And we get so stuck in that, that we never get to actually do something productive to actually help ourselves move forward. But perhaps that's why this is such an important topic. Because when people read my book, Cephas Unraveled, or when they go into the ANSBY program, there's often this huge um, relief that people seem to experience. That it's not just them. Yeah. Can you relate to that? Well, I mean, did you have that experience? Because I mean, I guess you knew a lot of people with the illnesses, but
0: I knew a lot of people through advocacy, people who I'd never met in person, and yeah. we shared this. Movement about injustice and changing opinions and that sort of thing and and that was my cause I wore it You know like an armor Um, It was my mission to make sure everybody I met understood Because you know you can't enter a conversation with a stranger and tell them you're chronically ill without Getting into the conversation right so there is always that dance that you do Um, and I think that just carrying that laundry bag of injustice around made me a tighter person than i was before if that makes sense just armed right ready for someone to say something so that i could correct them Mm. that's what it felt like um
1: it creates a lot of anger doesn't it
0: i was angry i was bitter Yeah.
1: yeah yeah You know, and I said that's and that's things- not
0: who I am. So I didn't like just to, to express that on the outside. I don't know that anyone saw that.
1: You know, some people have said some very kind things to me over the years. But have said to me, "Wow, well, Dan, you know, I, I just find it amazing how you handle it when, when you get the naysayers or the people who sort of." You know, attack you for just raising the possibility that recovery is possible. Because I'm not saying we have a magic cure or something like this, right? It's obviously a process, and it's different for everyone. And we don't have a cure, right? But we have a way to recover. But even just that can cause such anger and and offence to people, and they can attack you, and they can be quite vicious. People say, "Oh wow, you always handle that." And look, it's it's not like it it doesn't upset me. It's not like it doesn't hurt me. But I can, I understand, like I was on the other side.
0: Yeah. We, we've fact, both been through the, the battle and the beating up and all of that.
1: That's right. And in fact, we were talking about how that should be almost the, the informal name for this podcast is, uh, you know, messages from the other side, but, uh, the other side of chronic illness. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's, I, I get it. Like, because I was really angry. And I think I was not just angry at, at the injustice, but it was, like, people coming up with these theories and these supposed cures. And, like, just—it's no point going to another doctor, no point going to another naturopath or some treatment, because every time they, they tell you something and, you know, you get your hopes up, you try it, and then it doesn't work out. And you just go, well, look, unless I have some concrete hard proof you we know, are written in right. stone tablets coming from from from, my, from the mountain you know it's like I, I don't want to know anymore and that's why I personally had resigned myself to staying ill yeah because there was obviously no cure otherwise we don't know about it right
0: right
1: so yeah anger and, and bitterness, you know and and sadness you A know lot these of are sadness. like
0: yeah sadness frustration so much grief. Grief, grief of all the loss and the injustice, and
1: for sure, yeah. Well, well, you know, you would have had your own experiences and your own stories. I mean, uh, are there any particular things that you've heard that you found most painful or, or upsetting?
0: So many. <laughs> I, I, the ones that surfaced most for me were. Um, just the minimizing of my experience by medical professionals, um, or, or just complete disbelief that they even existed, that my experience was not somehow real, um, categorizing it as strictly depression, um, when a therapist said, no, you haven't got depression, um, telling me that you know, I, I can't possibly be suffering as much as I am. Um, and, and I think being dismissed from one specialist to another, um, the the original doctor who, a rheumatologist who uh, diagnosed me with CFS and fibromyalgia, after she said that, I said, well, "What do I do now?" And she said, "Well, you're already doing as much as you can." So I said, "Well, when do I see you again?" and she said, well, "There's no reason for you to see me again. There's I there's nothing I can do for you." Mm-hmm. You know, those are words no one should ever hear when they go to a doctor because they're truly sick. Mm-hmm. That's a huge injustice.
1: It is, you know, and uh, I mean, I remember so many years just being trying, trying, trying until I finally gave up on all kinds of practitioners. But then I also started to experience where practitioners just booted me. It's like, I can't, I can't help you. Right. And, yeah, it really changes the, uh, the, the, the dynamic of it all. Um,
0: and what you said was really powerful, that at some point you just decide to just live in it. Right. And, mm. and I think I went in cycles with that. Uh, right now I'm going to just live in it. I'm not going to seek any kind of help. Mm. And, and then I would get desperate again and start the process all over again and, you know, come to oh, the sorry. same conclusion over and over, over 30 years, just kept going.
1: It's like there's, there's too much pain associated with keeping going with the treatments and trying it and yeah. it doesn't lead anywhere. So, so yeah. you stop. Right. And then over time, the illness builds up more and more and more. That there's so much pain associated with being ill that right. you finally start again. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you just and keep on going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and actually, you know, that can be a wave that we can ride. That can actually work for us too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, it's something that we see a lot in in the recovery interviews where people hit that low, that ultimate low. Before things turn around and and they try something really different, that's what um, happened with me yeah yeah they they there you go um so we talk about not being believed about the symptoms and and you mentioned doctors, and obviously this is not about dr bashing there's a lot of wonderful doctors very supportive um but I guess the 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 symptoms are kind of like you can't see them
0: mm-hmm. Right.
1: You can't measure them. They're invisible symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hence my article about how to deal with invisible illness on the uh, website. And, yeah, I mean, it's just the nature of it. Uh, uh, and it's not just doctors. It's, it's even right. those around you, your friends, your family, uh, sometimes even our partners. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an experience
0: ex- with my employer, actually. <laughs> and my employer was a top pharmaceutical company. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they really didn't get it and mistreated me in the process of trying to get a diagnosis and, you know, short-term, long-term disability, all of those processes that are important. Um, but there were a lot of injustices that occurred there. So that's another, I guess, avenue for me where I felt pretty beaten up. Mm. What
1: happened? What happened?
0: I resigned. I resigned eventually. I mean, that that was what they wanted because if I had stayed, I would have gotten long-term disability, which would have paid me 75% of my income for the rest of my life. So right. clearly they didn't want to do that, and I was at a very weak and vulner- vulnerable moment in my life, uh, trying to advocate advocate for myself in this terribly sick, sick environment, right? I was I was miserable. So it becomes impossible to do all of that at one time. So, that just got added to my list of injustices, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if if you're not believed, then what are you? I mean, you must be making it up. Yeah. I mean, and if you're making it up, I mean, what kind of person yeah. would make up all these symptoms? I mean, yeah. ooh, like, yeah. who wants to be that guy or girl? Right. And... And the worst thing about it is like, it's one thing, suffer- suffering and in- injustice, but this is like, it keeps going.
0: Right. Multiple so injustices. So, not only
1: are you perhaps the malingerer or the faker or whatever they people think of you, but like, it keeps happening. Every time you see, see them, every time you have that interaction, it's like a slap in the face.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, I guess... I, I guess my chief message to everybody listening is that this is normal. Yeah. You know, and I think we get so caught up in this because it's like, I mean, you're, if you're like an honest person, and and then suddenly someone treats you like this, I mean, th- this is this is ghastly, right? This is shocking, and you're right. like, you you want to fix that? You're like, hang on a sec, this is real. You know, I'm not making this up. Yeah. But, you know, I think the thing to realize that, that this is this is just part and parcel of having invisible illness. And and ultimately, you're not going to really convince those people who don't believe in the first place by telling them more. It, right. You're actually kind of digging your hole deeper, right. don't you think?
0: Yes. I think that's the key takeaway message of this is that… It's what you do with that injustice that matters, right? It doesn't serve you, especially when you're that sick, to fight against that machine. It's better to just surrender to it. Say, okay, this is the way it is right now. I will just do what I need to do to feel the best I can
1: feel. Be- because you, you, you're you suffering already, like right. physically. And, yeah. and you have so little energy, you know. That's an emotional experience, like to be so ill, right? I mean, that's going to affect you emotionally. And and then to have that battle and to wrestle with that. Yeah. I mean, and and you're going to lose. Right. I can't even tell
0: you how much energy I expended over the decades, ruminating on the injustices to whoever would listen to me. And now I look back on that and I think, wow, I, I used so much of my energy on that. Mm. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, we've got to just accept it, I think.
0: Yeah, and accepting is hard. Yeah, accepting is a hard word for some people because they, I think some people believe that acceptance means that it's okay, that you're giving it permission to exist, and that's not what I see. I see it as surrendering to it. It exists, this is the way it is, I hate this it's like you said it's ghastly it's unacceptable hmm. but it is
1: yeah uh, that's exactly right uh, you just we could we just got to get away from trying to fix it yeah because because that is it just doesn't lead anywhere and um, and we got to use our energy in a more productive way
0: and that's not to say that someone shouldn't fix it Because that broken system absolutely needs attention and needs to be corrected. But as a patient in the middle of the cauldron, that's not the time. You're not the person. That's not your battle to be had. That's the way I feel about
1: it. I mean, the thing is, this happens everywhere. It happens with friends. It happens even with family. And it even happens with our partners who see how ill we are. Yeah. But you kind of see it. But how can you understand what the suffering feels like on the inside. Right. Like, oh, yeah, you're not moving, you feel fatigued, or you have pain. Right. But how much fatigue and pain do you have? Like, right? you can't see that. Right. And and uh, I think the number one thing anyone with CFS and Pharma will tell you is that the fatigue and the pain is not like anything you've ever experienced.
0: <laughs> it's unbearable, yeah.
1: It's unbearable. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not like... So, other, how can other people understand something that they've never experienced?
0: Yeah, they, uh, th- it's not possible.
1: It's like somebody who is born blind. How yeah. can you explain to them the amazing sunset? Right. It, it's just not possible, right? And so, yeah, I, I think uh, this is a key thing. And look, we, we touched on with doctors and there are many experienced doctors who really understand this illness and, and get these dynamics. But yes, there are doctors who don't, and there are many countries around the world where people basically think this is a psychological illness. Yeah. Like, like, literally, that there's nothing wrong with you. That it's it's like sort of like a mental illness that right. you think there's something wrong with you. With it. like hypochondria. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And this actually comes from some of the worlds, and I don't want to name them. But this is some of the world's leading countries, okay? Countries that, um, that really lead medicine. So it, it, it's quite surprising when it happens. And we see, you know, if you talk about injustice, I mean, some people get really, really poorly, really, really ill. They end up being put in mental homes.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the worst case scenario.
1: Children taken
0: from their parents.
1: That also happens, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because with children, it's often a case of the children are not believed, like they're malingering, lazy teenagers, or people go, there's something wrong with the parents, they're making it up, they're... But this isn't just with CFS and fibromyalgia.
0: I was just going to say that. I spoke to my sister yesterday who does has never had any CFS, fibromyalgia, or any of this. She was sick as a child with severe allergies, asthma, eczema, and missed a full year of school in her first six years of of school. She was pulled aside by a teacher and just lambasted. I mean, this teacher went... He just told her that she should not pretend to be sick, that she needed to be in school, that, you know, what's wrong with you for pretending to be sick? Um, and, and if you're sick, then you need to be in your room with no no toys or television. And And she said, I just was so confused by his message that, you know, it's first of all, it wasn't my choice to stay home from school. My parents made me stay home from school because I was sick. And and so, this happened to her, and that was in the 60s. Mm. And it wasn't me or fibromyalgia.
1: Yeah, and look, it still happens. I only heard a story uh, a couple of years ago uh, of a, uh, uh, some parents whose child suddenly got very ill, too ill to go to school, and so they kept him at home, and school kept asking, and then, you know, child services comes in, mm. and they start talking about, removing the child from the home. Oh, my gosh. Because they're like, you're not sending the child to school and there's nothing wrong with the child. And the problem was they went to the doctors and the doctors couldn't find anything wrong. Oh, my gosh. And and so they're like, this is not happening. And and, and it got very scary. Imagine ah. having a sick child and then losing the, the child. Not only would you lose your child temporarily, but right. the child is sick, so yeah, it really oh needs... My gosh. But t- yeah,
0: attention and, and help.
1: more than ever, right? Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: And, um, you know, eventually they, they luckily um, did a biopsy uh, and, and they managed to uh, find out uh, he was celiac.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: Um, but all the other tests up to that biopsy, they didn't even want to do a biopsy because there didn't seem to be enough evidence to suggest he was celiac. Oh, wow. And, you know, the, the diet hadn't really shown en- enough... Cause, even if you go on a diet, it doesn't actually give you any results straight away. It takes, right. takes time. it takes
0: a, a long time. Yeah.
1: And uh, and yeah, they they finally worked out he was celiac, and he changed the diet, and eventually he got well. But
0: oh goodness!
1: You know, it's it, it is scary when we don't don't get belief. So, I guess the, again the message is, not only does this just happen to you, but it doesn't only just happen to people with this illness. It happens right. with lots of illnesses. And right. And we've got to get comfortable. You know, the world's just not a perfect place. Right. And, you know, I think we've all become so comfortable because for the last 60, 70 years, you know, up to this pandemic, really, we've been living in a penthouse mm-hmm. of the world. Yeah. And and if you look at past generations, our grandparents, great-grandparents, I always tell the story that, you know, by, by the time my... My grandfather was my my age he'd gone through like uh World war one uh, a real nasty pandemic you know mm-hmm. where lots yeah. of young people were dying um the great depression <laughs> World yeah. II. Yeah. and World war two yeah that was only by the age of forty right oh
0: my gosh, a lot of trauma
1: so that that's that was normal, yeah, it wasn't any different for his great grandfather or you know there was always something going on right. Um,
0: but we we've come to expect that when we're sick and we go to seek out help, that it will come. And when that doesn't happen, it's a huge frustration and disappointment. Um, it kind of rocks your world. I mean, I was I had worked in the medical community. I was a a clinical healthcare worker, and and so I thought the way the system worked was that you, people got help. Um, so it was pretty shocking to me that someone could be so sick and, and not find answers.
1: You know, I guess the the thing is, you know, modern medicine has come leaps and bounds and it is absolutely fantastic for many, many things. Um and one of the best things is is acute trauma, um, car accidents, severed limbs, you know, surgery, um many, many, many things. But but chronic illness uh, is, is, is very complicated, uh, no matter what the chronic illness is. And, uh, and so there's a variety of treatments. And I think the thing to remember is that, you know, most people do their best. Most doctors and practitioners try to do their best. We just don't always have all the right answers. It's just, yeah. that, that's just, that's just, that's the bottom line. Yeah. So you spent so many years advocating for other people, seeing other people suffer these injustices, feeling bitter, trying to advocate for yourself. I mean, what would you say now? What is your advice on on how to deal with other people who, who just don't believe you?
0: Well, I think that my attachment to what other people thought of me was part of my problem to begin with. Um, I have learned in my recovery process and since recovery that None of that matters. It's not worth my focus. Um, I am who I am and that's that's it, right? So it's not worth my energy to be concerned with what other people think. That's not my mission any longer.
1: I, I love how you changed it from the external game of how do I deal with other people to the internal game. Because yeah. we can't control what happens with other people, but we can control how we think about it.
0: Uh, it yeah, I mean that—that's been my biggest learning point, I think, through this whole experience. It's always mm. what's important is what I do with it. Mm.
1: And look, I think when we have family and we have uh, or close friends, I think the key is to explain once what you're going through, and and then. You have to be somewhat assertive with it all. Uh You can't engage or have a wrestle or deal with the frustration of people forgetting <laughs> forgetting right. that you're chronically ill. I don't know how anyone can forget this, but, you know, I think the human brain is just not conditioned to deal with chronic illness. No, you it's know, not. I-, I see this with friends. They'd be like, oh, that's really bad. Oh, I'm really sorry. And next time I see you, they're like, oh, you want to go water skiing? <laughs> you know, it's right. like... Oh, yeah. but you look well you know yeah, you're better there right? yeah. yeah chronic so
0: illness it, amnesia yeah
1: it is uh, yeah. that's all right so i think you just have to be assertive and if some people um really don't believe you or try and put the negatives on you like you're malingering or making it up or just depressed or something like this i think you just got to distance yourself even if it's family you've got right. to look at keeping your interactions shorter uh Focus on positive topics, and if they start going in that direction, cut it, cut it short, cut it, stop it.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: <laughs> and people soon get the message that that doesn't work if they want to want to be around you. And, and you might say, oh, but I want to be with them and all of this. It you you gotta look after yourself. Right. The most important thing is you gotta look after yourself, and you've gotta look after your morale, your mental well-being, and and move forward. And because you know, people get, I mean, one of the things that often happens when people go to the doctors, they get labeled as, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just depressed. And I say just in inverted commas because obviously depression is very serious. Right. a serious illness. And, and the thing about depression is it can actually present in physical symptoms. Right. Uh, that can be quite, some of them quite similar to chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, primarily the fatigue. Right. Not, not the other symptoms, I would say, but the fatigue.
0: The fatigue for sure, yeah.
1: But it's very different, obviously, because the difference is if I, if I take a depressed person and we take him to a party and, you know, shake him up and make them play football or something, then chances are afterwards in the next day they're going to feel a bit better. Right. Whereas the person with CFS will probably feel worse. Yeah. And 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 so while some of the same mechanisms are involved, it's 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 a completely different illness and
0: I think there's another difference too in that a person with depression typically really loses interest in the things that once pleased them, whereas a the person with MECFS really, really desperately wants to get back to doing all of the things that they truly loved. They just are not physically able to.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. And, you know, it reminds me of one recovery interview I did, Claudia, where this, uh, girl, she, she, she presented with all these symptoms and she was told, Oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You've, you've got depression. You're just depressed. And she's like, I'm not depressed. I don't feel depressed. Right. She, she, she said she felt slightly depressed at being told she was depressed. <laughs> oh, I can
0: relate yeah. to that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, but, but then over the period of time, because nobody believed her and and um and because she wasn't getting anywhere and she was kept feeling ill, she did actually start to experience depression. Oh god. And then she ended up getting treatment for depression and, and therapy for depression. And actually that helped her also with her recovery, because you know when you have additional problems with CFS and fibromyalgia and POTS, they all make your symptoms worse, whether that be Physical problems, uh, or, or, mental problems. Right? right. They, they make our symptoms worse. And, um, but it's it just seemed funny in the story that, you know, first she's labeled depression. She's like, I have no depression. And then in the end, she did end up with depression, oh you know. Oh
0: my gosh. Wow.
1: And I think that's actually quite common, isn't it? I think so. I think a lot of people feel depressed and, and anxious and the very things they get accused of having instead of the illness is, right, is often where they end up.
0: Well, how can you not? I mean, with chronic illness, you're isolated so often and that leads to depression. You're not active physically. Um, yeah. You can't tolerate most of the things that that help the body not be depressed.
1: Yeah, uh, abs- yeah. absolutely. Um, look, uh, another thing I wanted to talk about is, is partners. Um, I mean, there's really a whole topic about, um, about partners that... Another the podcast because these are often the forgotten victims in this illness. Mm-hmm. But partners often don't understand what we're going through. Now you might have sometimes partners who just, you know, it's very unfortunate if they fall into the category of not believing you or not yeah. giving you any real understanding. And, and that happens. And that makes it for very difficult decisions, deci- decisions for people, how to deal with that. And and sometimes, you know sometimes changes happen to relationships unfortunately right but but even you know good positive partners like like people who are lovely people and supportive people, I think they also struggle to really understand do, do you think that's true?
0: Well, that was my experience, I think um, hmm. I'm not sure what my husband would say about that, but um he's super supportive. he was always there for me through the illness um However, I don't think that he grasped the magnitude of my internal status Mm. at all. I I couldn't explain it, and I don't think he could see it, so there was no way for him to understand that. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and that's exactly right. I think you, you hit it on the head there. You know, there's no way for them to understand it, and... And you know, like when you go through something different, it shapes you as a person. Like, like, you know, we always, always see this with people who turn from war. They say, Oh, that's, they're not the same mm-hmm. as they were beforehand. And, and I think sometimes when, let, let's, let's just, we've got to be honest here. Let's face it. We don't act our best and we're not necessarily a joy to be around with when we're ill. Right. And, and you we, know, we just spoke about the anger of the injustice, the bitterness. I mean, yay. This yeah. is the person that I want to hang out with. You know, right. like, and, and then sometimes when people are feeling very low or pain or fatigue, we lash out. Right. And we lash out at the most ridiculous things. Right. Like I remember my wife talk- was in another room or even in the same room, and she'd ask me something, and to answer was just so hard. So, just to speak and, and to process it. And then she would ask me something else, which, you know, you got to understand where I'm coming from. It's like, it's torture to speak. It's mm-hmm. torture to answer this question. It's like, in fact, it it felt harder than doing something physical. I understand. I would have rather gone outside and... You know, move the furniture in the backyard than actually having to answer that question, which is strange because, you know, CFS and Fabro is normally physical fatigue, but this mental stuff is part of it too. Mm-hmm. And, and then she would ask something that was, you know, people have conversations. You, you say it's not efficient. You know, you're not like in a court of law or, or in a submarine that has to communicate your location within the next ten seconds before you get bombed or something, right? right? Like this is just like a normal human being. So she'd ask, and I'd be like, "Do you really have to ask that?" Like I thought, okay. kind of, and I would lash out. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a crazy person. Yeah. Like, who behaves like this? And oh, I know. And then, of course, to deal with that, it, I mean, that's that's awful for yeah. uh, for a partner. Right. And then for yourself, you feel the shame. Yeah,
0: lots of shame. And the guilt
1: of being an awful person. There's no other right. way to say it. And I know it's an awful person. I experienced
0: it a little bit differently. I, in my experience, my husband might ask me a, a very benign question, and I would try to answer. But as you said, just expressing thoughts and pushing air out of one's mouth was this extremely fatiguing exercise. And so I would try and I guess what came out was extremely muffled and he wouldn't understand me. And then he would get upset that I wasn't properly speaking, right? And so he would lash out at me and then I would become defensive. And I am inside my mind, I'm thinking, well, now I'm having to express even more than I was expressing before. Um, and yeah, and it just took too much energy. It was just too hard. Um, and, and for me to try to explain to him, I can't speak. Speaking is more than I can muster right now. It was very difficult to explain that.
1: That's, that's hard for a person to uh,
0: get yeah. their head around. Yeah.
1: How can it be hard to speak? How? Right. And, and and this is the thing we, I think we've got to remember, it from the other side, like, how can somebody understand?
0: Yeah, I don't.
1: You know, you, you can't. You, you, you simply cannot understand if if you haven't experienced it. Right. Um, because to me, that sounds ridiculous.
0: I remember my husband was in the hospital once. He had surgery because he had crashed on his mountain bike and he got a severe infection in his elbow and had sepsis. He was extremely ill had to have emergency surgery. They were trying to treat this infection first. And I walked into the room and he could converse with me. And I was shocked. I thought to myself, how can this be? How can he be so sick and be able to carry on a conversation? I just could not, I couldn't understand it. And that's when it dawned on me, our experiences were still so different. And that that was the moment when I realized he doesn't understand my experience. How could he?
1: Well, and I think the I think that should really highlight. I mean, the obvious fact. I mean that this is a neurological disease.
0: Mhm.
1: Yeah. And and because we have so many physical symptoms, uh, people think it's all these different things, uh, even though. Now, these days, I, I suppose it's getting more and more recognized that, is, that these are neurological right. uh, illnesses. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. So what do we do? What do we do with all this? I mean, you know, there's the, also the whole stigma, you know, I mean, just talking about the illness and, and the way it's viewed. I, I know so many people live a secret life, too.
0: Hmm. Yeah, when you said stigma, it made me realize that my practice going to physicians was to not disclose that I had ME-CFS fibromyalgia for a little while, uh, if I was going for an unrelated reason, because whenever I disclosed that, I saw a face, a specific response came, and it was judgmental, and it put me in a box that I didn't want to be in, so I would I would have a little talk with myself on the drive to the appointment. Are you going to tell them this or not tell them this? And I felt like you know a split personality person in the car driving over there. Well, I should disclose the truth, but if I do, it's going to go this way. From experience, I know that. So yeah, I um, oftentimes, I didn't disclose that information right away.
1: Yeah, look, I I always was caught between asking a doctor and seeing if they can help me with all these symptoms, but often they would just say nothing. Mm-hmm. They would just not respond.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And sometimes I could have sworn I saw an internal rolling of the eyes.
0: Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: But, you know, I came across other doctors who were really interested and they really wanted to help. And I remember uh, one doctor, he he did all these tests and and he really... You know, and I was just excited to have someone in my corner and, and he was such Mm -hmm. a lovely man. And, uh, and then he found, he did a blood test and he found I had a candida infection. Mm. And, and he said this was like off the scale. Like, if it's, you know, you shouldn't find it in the blood, you know what I mean? Like, if a normal doctor, not, not a natural or alternative or integrative or functional medicine doctor, if a normal doctor does a blood test and says, it's rampant in your bloodstream then the candida is pretty bad right yeah and i was like okay oh maybe this is what it's i don't know what this is this sounds strange but yeah okay and you put me on the heaviest medication you can get and i was on it for like six or eight weeks and i didn't feel any better and i went back and we did another test and nothing had changed
0: oh my gosh oh (laughs) And i was
1: taking this like you know sort of at a horse uh, medication <laughs> level and <laughs> and nothing <laughs> no, nothing had changed oh, but yeah there there is a stigma, and I think the stigma is also like in family or in business yeah, you know to to about justice i I was trying to work part time uh to support my family whilst whilst I was ill, and you know sometimes I wouldn't work at all mm-hmm. and then I'd work almost full time for short periods and then part time mm-hmm. is all over the place over the years. Mm-hmm. Wow, and um, and I remember sitting down having a meeting, and somehow in the conversation, not through me, but the topic of CFS came up, chronic fatigue syndrome.
0: Interesting.
1: And the guy was like, "Oh yeah, that's 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 not illness. That's that's just these people who are like, they, they they're just making stuff up. They they're just like really weak-minded people, and blah blah okay. blah." And he was just really, and I'm sitting there. And they didn't know that I oh had chronic God. fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. And I'm just sitting there and I didn't know what to do. I didn't say anything. You didn't? I didn't say anything. In fact, I always kept it a secret
0: mm. during
1: all my years of illness. Uh, I kept it a secret. Um, my close friends knew because they could see when mm-hmm. I didn't turn up, you know. Mm. Um. But, yeah, everyone else... It, it was a secret. I remember being at a, a business, like a meeting, like breakfast, mm-hmm. and I was so ill. All I kept thinking, I was just leaning against the table because it was a standing thing for a part mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. All I kept thinking was, I, I need to sit down, I, I can't stand up, and I'm looking, where can I sit? And I am finding this, this thing to lean against with holding myself, bracing myself because I'm, I, I can't handle it. I, I'm, oh, I'm suffering. Oh. I'm suffering so bad at just saying it and having to talk to people and s- smile. And it's like nothing wrong with me. And, and, and then people would come up to me and go, Dan, hey, Dan, oh, you look fantastic. You look so well. Oh my like, Yes.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: And only inside wow. is the exact opposite. I feel like I'm dying. And they're like, oh, oh you God. look so well. You know? Oh, I can't even and, imagine. Oh. And, and it is, and I, I've spoken obviously to hundreds of people who've, who've recovered and, 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 and hundreds of people who've been sick and many hundreds, thousands now. And yeah, many people have this where, where they hide it. And, 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 you know what really, what, I, what makes me giggle a little bit is this whole idea that people with CFS and fibro are weak. Mm, they get yeah. ill and, oh, they, 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 they have to lie down because they're, they're weak minded. they you know, they're not, and in my experience, the truth is actually 100% the opposite. In fact, I would go so far to say that if people were more like an average person and were a little bit weaker,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they might even do a little bit better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because when we're so ill and when we go out and we flog ourselves,
0: right.
1: I mean, everybody knows with the illness, when you do too much, you get worse. Right. And because people with the cylinders tend to be really tough nuts,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they tend we to always push, do too much push. and make themselves worse. Yeah. So push, push, crash, right? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Yeah. So look, let's as we finish up with our podcast today. Uh, I wonder if we can just summarize some of the the action steps and think about some of the action steps that that people can take. And what what do you think? would be like the top three things that people should should do
0: In terms to of injustice. help themselves,
1: to deal with the injustice, to, to deal with the stigma, and, and, and all of this.
0: I think first and foremost, acknowledging that it is real, out loud. Um, I think there's something about expressing that reality that helps us cope with it. So just being able to say, yes, there is great injustice in my experience. And then I think from there, you can begin to accept it, is that that word again. Um, I would say surrender to it. Surrender to that injustice. It's real, it's there, but it's my response to that injustice that is important. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Those would be the
0: top two things, I think, for myself.
1: Yeah, I think we've we've got to get away from ruminating about it, don't we?
0: Yeah. We
1: we can't let this take over our lives. Right. And and whilst it's not acceptable, we've got to practice a level of acceptance that this is how it is, and we've got to kind of surrender to that experience. Mm-hmm. And I always say to people. Don't have that fight. Right. Cause I just don't think you can win. No. Right? It's not the time um, or place. You can't teach a fish to fly.
0: Right.
1: Don't try. Except for flying fish, but they're pretty rare. <laughs> <laughs> you would know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's not, it's not a fight to have. And I think one of the other things that uh, I remember you mentioning to me before is it's really important that you actually build yourself a support system.
0: Oh, yeah. You have to have allies. I And I think those go-to people are key in keeping you in balance. Because when you start falling into the injustice conversations in your head, you have to acknowledge that, become aware of that, And then turn to the allies in your life. Mm -hmm. Just lean on them.
1: And I think when we're talking about support, people that support you, I think you want to – I like the word balance that you used in in what you just described. Because we don't want people who just feel pity for you. Right. We don't want people who are always just seeking to, oh, that's so bad. Because I'm sure you've come across this. And those people mean well, but you might be having a day where you kind of feel half reasonable. And then you go in and they're like, oh, how are you going? And, uh, and, and you know, they're giving you this pity. And and we don't want pity a lot of time. We just want some understanding, don't we?
0: Right. Yeah. Just understand me.
1: Because just... it can almost drag you down to have Yeah. that sort of a response. Yeah. Right. So So you want people, I think, that, that go, okay, I, I get it. And I can hear you and can let you help you get it off your chest but keep you balanced and f- focused to deal with it in a constructive way to move you forward.
0: Exactly. And and if you don't have someone like that in your life, you can instruct people to become that. And and you can do it just the way you you described it just now. This is what I need. Exactly. It's okay yeah. to express your needs, right? So this is what I need for, from you. I need you to be my balance. You see me tipping this way, tip me back up.
1: Exactly. Because, you know, nobody's given an instruction manual, right? On how to be the perfect support person. So, exactly. Tell them what you need. Tell them, tell them, you know, how they can support you when you're up and when you're down. What you think is most helpful for you. And the other thing is, reach out. If if, if you feel lonely or you don't feel you have people around you to do this, reach out. You know, reach out to professionals, reach, we might not always have the financial resources, reach out to, to community groups, reach out to, to free helplines, yeah. Right. Uh, I know that on, on my lowest moment, I actually reached out to Lifeline. Wow. Yeah? And, and, and it was, it was during my recovery. It was. Uh, I've told this story before, but it was when I was at do- went to a yoga class for 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 old age people.
0: Oh gosh, yeah, I did that. Uh,
1: everyone was everyone was like forty to fifty years older than me. One one person was actually in a wheelchair. Yeah. And three minutes into the class, I realized I couldn't keep up. And I'd been telling myself I'm recovering. I've worked out the illness. I, I'm recovering, and then I'm like, I can't move up my arms. My whole world came crashing down. How disappointing. Yeah. And and I remember calling Lifeline because I was home alone. Yeah, my wife was at work, and and uh, maybe that was a good thing that she wasn't there to see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe. Um, so th- there are ways to reach out, you know. Yeah, and and I think you've got to have a plan. Get
0: oh, a plan. definitely. Yeah, yeah, because it's so easy to fall in.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. On that note. I uh, look forward to our next podcast and thank you for joining us today, Claudia.
0: Thanks, Dan.
1: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the podcast. We hope you felt supported by it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us via cfsunravel.com and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. And you can leave a comment and a four or five-star review if you feel so inclined. If you want to make sure you get your free copy of Discover Hope and get notified about all new recovery resources and interviews, including recovery interviews, subscribe to us via the website. Check out some of our other podcasts. I hope you'll join us again soon.